There are seasons in our lives where what is happening around us causes us to think about things that we normally don't think about. Is that true? There are seasons in our lives that what's happening around us, what's happening to us, what's happening in us, it causes us to think about things we normally wouldn't think about. It causes us to read books we probably wouldn't have read otherwise or Google search things that we otherwise would not have searched after. Uh, In February, one of the biggest worldwide sporting events is taking place, the Winter Olympics. I don't know how many of you are fans of the Winter Olympics, but I often say that the power of the Olympics is this, that it causes people to care about sports and events that they literally haven't thought about in four years. Like, you're about to get into bobsledding and luging, and you haven't thought about it in four years. Some of you are going to spend some hours watching this crazy sport called curling. Do you know what curling is? Where they are, they're sliding these, these stones down this ice, and the guys on the other end have little brushes and they're brushing, and however in which way they brush apparently affects the speed of the stone and the direction of the stone, and it's, you can't stop watching it once you start watching it, because it's just fascinating it. And it's actually encouraging, because none of them are really athletic, so you're like, I'm, I'm probably four years away from being an Olympian. I, if I will commit the next four years of my life to working on my brushing game, I, I could be a curler. It's not like the downhill skiers where you think I could never do what they're doing. But the Olympics have a way of making us think about things that we don't normally think about. And that's true of life. You know, here we are. It's the last day of 2017. Let me ask you a question. What have you thought the most about this year? What have you thought about in 2017 that maybe you didn't think about as much in the past? What's consumed your heart and your mind? And for me, in 2017, I've spent a lot of time thinking about heaven. A lot of time, and you know why. But an unusual amount of time thinking about heaven. And as I've thought about heaven and tried to sort out, what do I actually believe about heaven? What does the Bible say about heaven? What is true of heaven? I've realized that, really, for the first 38 years of my life, I didn't talk about heaven very much. I, I couldn't think of one time I preached an entire message just on heaven, I, it's not even something that I gave a lot of attention to, and, but in 2017, I have. So what we're going to do this morning is I want to answer, as best I can, three questions, and they're this. What should we think about heaven? When should we think about heaven? And why should we think about heaven? Pretty simple. What should we think about heaven? When should we think about heaven? And why should we think about heaven? So let's talk about the first question. What should we think about heaven? And last, or this past, um, when was it? Sunday night, Christmas Eve, I talked about the importance of defining your terms. Remember I told the story of when we were in England and everybody was excited about having pudding and we weren't very excited until we realized, oh, in England, pudding means dessert. And then we were very excited. We have to define our terms. And people talk about heaven. It's important that we define our terms because there's actually four different ways. There's at least four. There may be more. But there's at least four different ways we can talk about heaven. So when someone says to you, what do you believe about heaven? Your first question back to them should be, what do you mean heaven? What heaven are you talking about? Because there's actually four ways we should think about or understand heaven. And we're going to walk through them this morning. And the first one is this. When we talk about heaven, we can be talking about heaven as the atmosphere. Heaven is the atmosphere. Heaven is a created thing. Heaven is the sky. Heaven is the stars. Heaven is the clouds. Heaven is all the things that astrologers and astronomers study. Heaven is the atmosphere. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, it says that God said, let there be an expanse 
in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. So here's God at work in creation. Verse seven, it says that God made the expanse and he separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And in verse eight, it says, and God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. So heaven, we can simply be describing the atmosphere, the things that we can see with our own eyes. And heaven, as a part of creation, there's two things that are true of heaven that are true of everything that was created. And the first thing is that it was created to be good. It's inherently good. It has value. When God created the heavens and the earth, every day, or however that happened, he would look at it and say, it's good. So everything that's been created has inherent value and worth and a goodness to it. But there's a second part to everything that's been created. Not only is it good, it's also under the curse. It's broken. So even the heavens are under some sort of a curse that prevent them from being what God created them to be. This is what it means. The most beautiful sunset you've ever seen. The sunrise that takes your breath away. The stars that some people can study for hours and hours and hours. It's just a, it's, it's, it's just a glimpse of what we're going to see someday. It's, it's broken. It's under a curse. Someday we're going to see what it really was created and intended to be. And creation, or the heavens as the atmosphere were also created uh, to point us to the creator. Psalm 19.1 says that the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. And in Romans 1.20, it says that all of us are without an excuse because of creation. Creation itself, the heavens itself causes our hearts. When we look up at the stars and we look up at the sky and we look up at the planets and we consider the expanse of the universe and the solar system, something in our heart goes, wow. And that wonder, that, that response of wonder is something that God has created us for not so that we would stop at the wow, but that we would go past the wow and go, how? <laughs> Why? Why is this all here? Why is it this way? And so when we talk about the heavens, we're talking first about the atmosphere. Now here's the second way that we can talk about heaven. The second way that we can talk about heaven is the kingdom breaking in. The kingdom breaking in. Now, in the Gospels, Jesus uses this term a lot called the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven. In Mark, Luke, and John, they use the term kingdom of God, but in Matthew, it's kingdom of heaven. Now, uh, there's a lot of debate as to whether or not those terms are uh, synonymous. Can, do, they stand, do they mean the same thing? And I actually think that they do. I think Matthew was writing to a very specific audience, so he used the term kingdom of heaven. But I think kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God basically mean the same thing. The context can determine some differences, but for the most part, it means the same thing. So I say all that because I'm going to read to you from Luke, and you're going to see the phrase kingdom of God, but it also means kingdom of heaven. So we're talking about heaven here. Luke chapter 17, verses 20 and 21, Jesus is asked by the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven would come. And he answered them, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, it's not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. The kingdom of heaven is in the midst of you. And here's what the ESV study Bible says, that the kingdom of heaven, when it says that the kingdom of heaven is in the midst of you, it means that in the person of Jesus and in the reign of Jesus or the reign of God that's manifested in the lives of those who follow Jesus, we can already see the kingdom of heaven breaking in. 
So when we talk about heaven, we're talking about this idea that the kingdom of God, which is the rule and the reign of God, the way things were intended to be, it's breaking in on creation around us. There's this tension that theologians talk about called the already but not yet kingdom of God. It's already here. When Jesus came, the kingdom was inaugurated, but it's not fully here yet, right? So we see glimpses of the kingdom, but are we in the kingdom of heaven right now? No. Go outside without your jacket on. You'll know you're not in the kingdom of heaven yet, right? We're not in the kingdom of heaven yet. But in a sense, it's already here. So we're kind of in this tension, this, this in-between. There's a very popular show that came out a couple years ago on Netflix called Stranger Things. And in this show, there are two worlds that occupy the same space at the same time. And let's call the one world the normal world. That's what everybody, that's what everybody sees. It's just sort of normal. And then there's this world that they come to label the upside-down world. And the upside-down world, there's darkness and there's dark creatures, but they actually possess the exact same physical space. You just can't see the upside-down world at first. And then throughout the show, different characters begin to get glimpses, and then there's actually these really creepy scenes where the upside-down world begins to break in on the normal world, and you actually begin to see this sort of like darkness come into the normal world. Now, Jesus' kingdom is not the upside-down world. Jesus' kingdom is the right-side-up world. And what we see is that the right-side-up world, which is his kingdom, in a real way, it's here. We don't always see it. We're not all constantly aware of it, but aren't there moments when it breaks in? And then you see it, and then you sense it. So what are those moments like? Some of you might have experienced experienced it this morning during the singing. You You just kind of felt your heart lifted in worship. That's the kingdom of God beginning to break in. Some of you have experienced it just in the laughter of a child, just in the joy of being together as a family at Christmas. But also we experience it in more supernatural ways when people receive physical healings, when there's miracles, when there's signs, when there's wonders. And things like that, miracles, healings, and signs and wonders, it's much less about us breaking through and it's much more about the kingdom breaking in. And it's just like God gives us this little glimpse of, Here's the kingdom breaking in around you. It's not already, not fully here, but here's a glimpse of it. Now, someday it will be fully here and we'll experience it all. So when we talk about heaven or the kingdom of heaven, one of the ways that we talk about it is it's the kingdom breaking in. Okay, here's the third way that we can talk about heaven. Heaven is the atmosphere. Heaven is the kingdom breaking in. And heaven is, and this is what we mostly think about when we talk about heaven. Heaven is the present presence of God. This is where God is right now, and this is where everyone who is in Christ, who dies before Jesus' return, this is where they are also. This is heaven, the present presence of God. This is where believers go when they die. So somebody says to you, where do believers go when they die? The answer is heaven. But which of these terms are we talking about? And we're talking about this one, the present presence of God. So if someone would say to you, well, are they going to be in heaven forever? The best answer is, Well, it actually depends on your definition of heaven. Let me explain. Randy Alcorn, who wrote a very helpful book on heaven, said this. Will we be with the Lord forever? Absolutely. But will we always be with God in the same place that heaven is right now? No. In the present heaven, God's people are in Christ's presence, free of sin and suffering and enjoying great happiness. Psalm 1611 says, in your presence there is fullness of joy. But... They are still looking forward to their bodily resurrection and permanent relocation to the new heavens and the new earth. 
So, yes, after death, we will always be in heaven, but not in the same place or in the same condition. So there is a heaven that we go to when we die before Jesus returns, but there's a new heaven and a new earth we're going to talk about in, in just a moment that we're still all waiting for. Now, the Bible teaches about the eventual physical resurrection of those who are dead in Christ. And I want to read this passage for you that Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Look at this. Uh, it'll be on the screen for you as I read. Paul says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, which is just a way of saying those who have passed away that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. So what Paul's about to lay out is the reason why we have hope as believers when someone that believes in Jesus dies. Verse 14, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord. So Paul is saying, if you're still on the earth when Jesus returns, this is what happens. We will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Now, that almost seems unnecessary to say if heaven is the same now as it's going to be someday. Well, of course, we don't precede those who have fallen asleep. They've already died. Why would we precede them? So let's keep reading to see what Paul says here. In verse 16, he says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. So those who have died in Christ before Jesus' return, they rise first. Verse 17, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, before I get into what this means, let me just sit on verse 18 for a second. Paul said, therefore, because this is all true, encourage one another with these words. And when's the last time, don't answer it out loud, but when's the last time you encouraged another believer with the thought of heaven? We tend to encourage them with all sorts of stuff. Well, look at what Jesus did for us. And look at how much you have in your life. And look where you live. And look at this and look at that. You know, and the snow won't last forever. You know, whatever it is that we do. But Paul says one of the most powerful truths we can use to encourage people who are discouraged is heaven. The hope of heaven. The certainty of heaven. That Jesus Christ is returning to bring us into this new heavens and this new earth. So what is Paul teaching us here? Here's what Paul is teaching. There is a pre-return of Jesus heaven, and there is a post-return of Jesus heaven. So there is a, another way of saying is that there is a pre-resurrection heaven, and by resurrection, I don't mean the resurrection of Jesus, I mean the resurrection of all of those who have died in Christ. There is a pre-resurrection heaven, and there is a post-resurrection heaven, which is the new heaven and the new earth. And right now, those who have died in Christ, those that we have lost, our families, that members, our friends that we have lost that know Jesus, they are in heaven, but this heaven, now hear everything I'm about to say, because if you tune out at any point, you're going to think I'm saying heresy. This heaven is an intermediate state of sorts. And what I mean is this. It's not the final destination. This is, a, uh, this is the presence of God. This is where he reigns and rules. There's no sickness. There's no sadness. They are fully satisfied in the presence of God. This is not, I'm not talking about soul sleep, and I'm not talking about purgatory. I'm talking about something that the Bible references as the, uh, Abraham's bosom. So this is a place where they are with God, but they still do not have their physically resurrected bodies because Jesus hasn't returned yet. It's only at Jesus' return that both those who have died and those who remain will receive their physically resurrected bodies. And by the way, I I like this idea because sometimes you feel like the people that you've lost, you feel like you have nothing in common with them anymore, right? 
But you have one thing in common with anybody that you've lost that's in Christ. You're both looking forward to Jesus' return. You both are. You got to be careful with this because those that are in heaven, they're not lacking anything. They're not missing anything. There's not any sort of lack in their joy. But there is a sense in which they also, from that side of eternity, they can't wait for the return of Jesus. Because the return of Jesus, they will receive their physically resurrected bodies. And of course, we will be all together. Now, the entrance to heaven is immediate. Remember when Jesus was dying on the cross and the thief next to him put his hope and trust in Jesus? And what did he say to the thief? Today, you'll be with me in paradise. So don't misunderstand everything I'm saying. When someone passes from this life to the next, immediately they're in the presence of God. They are in heaven, but they're in this heaven, this heaven that I'm talking about right now. They are in the present presence of God. They're not in the fourth type of heaven, which we're about to talk about, which is the future new heaven and new earth. No one is in the future new heaven and new earth. It's not come yet. And so a couple questions that you might have about the physical or the present heaven, and Andy, uh, Randy Elkhorn does a good job answering these questions. Here's two. In the present heaven, do people have physical forms? So they don't have their, they don't have their resurrected body yet, so do they have physical forms? Now here's what he says. I think he's right. Given the consistent physical descriptions of the intermediate heaven and its inhabitants, it seems possible that between our earthly lives and bodily resurrection, so in the present presence of God, God may grant each of us temporary physical forms. If so, that would account for the repeated depictions of people who are now in heaven who are occupying physical space, wearing clothes and crowns, talking, holding palm branches in their hands, and having body parts. Then he goes on to say, certainly we do not receive resurrection bodies immediately after death. If we have intermediate forms in the intermediate heaven, and we may not, they are temporary. They are not our true bodies, which remain dead until the final resurrection. Now, another reason why I think we can probably stand sure on Scripture that we receive some sort of temporary form uh, in the present presence of God is that when Elijah, uh, when, when Moses and Elijah show up on the mountain, we, there seems like there was a physical form to them. Now, more about that story right now. Another question is this. Will we recognize each other in the present heaven? So, you know, when, you, when, you, when you've lost people, have they, do, they, do they know who each other are right now in the present presence of God? And here's what Randy Elkhorn says, and again, I agree with him. He says, Scripture gives no indication of a memory wipe causing us to forget our family and friends. On the contrary, if we wouldn't know our loved ones in heaven, then the comfort of an afterlife reunion that's taught in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 would be no comfort at all. At Christ's transfiguration, his disciples recognized Moses and Elijah, even though they, this is so interesting to me, even though they couldn't have possibly known what they looked like. Think about that. Peter, James, and John recognized Elijah and Moses, although they never saw them. They couldn't Google and bring up old photos of Moses and Elijah. Nobody knew what they really looked like. So what does this mean? Or what does this suggest? Is probably the better way of saying it. This suggests that personality will emanate through whatever forms we take. And if we can recognize those we've never seen, how much more will we recognize our family and our friends? So let me summarize this one, because this is a bit of a processing point, but this is what it means. Our family, fr- our family members and friends who have died, who are in Christ, who are in Christ, they are in the presence of God now. They're free from sin. They're free from suffering. And they are together 
with each other in a mysteriously meaningful way, even while they still await, even as they still await the return of Christ and their resurrected bodies. That's the present presence of God. And that's the third way to talk about heaven. So here's the fourth way to talk about heaven. The future new heaven and new earth. So we have the present presence of God, but we also have this future new heavens and new earth. And that's what John sees, by the way, in the book of Revelation. He sees the future new heavens and the future new earth. But we actually don't have to look into Revelation to get a description of it. Isaiah, by the Spirit of God, has a vision and prophesies in chapter 25. And I love how Isaiah talks about the new heavens and the new earth. Let these words just kind of wash over you and comfort your spirits this morning. In verse 6, Isaiah says this, On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. And it will be said on that day, and you know who's going to say this? You and me. Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. And this is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Someday you and I are going to stand shoulder to shoulder in the new heavens and the new earth, and we're going to look at each other and we're going to go, this, this is our God. This is our God that we hoped in, that we trusted in, that we waited upon. Now, when you look at that passage from Isaiah, he mentions things like a feast. We're going to feast. I'm good, I'm good with that. I'm down with that. He says that he's going to swallow up the curse over us, and he's going to swallow up the separation between us. In the ancient Near Eastern culture, when one god was to consume another god, do you remember when Moses' serpent swallowed all the other serpents? What that meant to the prophets in Egypt was that not only was their god stronger, but he just had swallowed up their gods, which meant to them in the ancient Near Eastern culture that that god had absorbed all the powers of their gods. So when it says that God someday is going to swallow up death, and swallow up the curse. He's going to absorb any power that that had. It's going to be gone. He's going to wipe our tears away, and he's going to take away our reproach. Does that sound pretty good? It's not the best part. The best part is in Revelation 21.3, where it says, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. The best part of heaven is going to be God. The best part of heaven is that God will dwell with his people like he's always desired to. And we will be with him like we've always desired to. So how do we talk about the new heavens and the new earth? You know, I have three young daughters, and I'm always trying to think, like, how do I explain these deep biblical truths to a nine-year-old and to a six-year-old? And so here's what I say to them. When I talk about heaven or the new heavens and the new earth, this is the way we talk about it. We say it's everything, it will be everything as it was meant to be and so much more. Everything as it was meant to be at creation, but more, more, better than Eden. Eden, but better. And what do we see in Genesis 1 and chapter 2? Now, earlier this year, we did a a series in August uh, called Before the Fall, where we looked at four things that existed before the fall in Genesis 1 and 2. We saw that there was order, that there was function and purpose, and that creation was supporting creation. We saw that there was work. We saw that there was loneliness, 
that Adam, even in paradise, lacked meaningful and desired meaningful relationship because we've been created in an image of a triune God. And we saw that there was nakedness, which meant that now we carry this sin and shame upon ourselves and we need a covering, and Jesus is our covering. But when we talk about this idea of the new heavens and new earth, I want to talk just for a moment about the idea of work in heaven. Because some people, if they're honest, actually, Christmas Eve, a young man came up to me after the service and said, I have one thing I struggle with a lot when it comes to my faith, and it's heaven. I said, well, tell me what you mean. And I won't use his words, but essentially he said, it sounds boring. Like, it sounds boring. It, it doesn't sound very interesting. Like, because, you know, the idea of us, like, floating on clouds and playing harps all day, it's like, how, many t- how long can you play a harp? Like, 10,000 years into eternity, it's going to be like, all right, I've learned all the chords. Like, now what do I do? And this idea of, like, uh, you know, we're going to sing. For the, we're gonna, all we're going to do is sing over and over and over. And, like, I like singing as much as anybody, but, like, how long are we going to sing? Like, how many times can we repeat that chorus? Like, so there is this idea sometimes of, like, heaven is this place where we just go to chill for eternity. And it just can actually sound a little uninteresting, a little bit boring if we're being honest. But that's a misunderstanding of heaven. Heaven, first thing you have to understand about the new heavens and the new earth is this. It's a physical place. It's going to be a real place. It's not going to be a figment of your imagination. It's not going to be some pie-in-the-sky cloud thing that you float around in. We're going to have physical bodies, which means it's going to be a physical place. When John saw it, the only way he could describe it is as a city. Now, what does a city look like? John knew what a city looked like. He knew what a city looked like. So what does a city look like? It looks like commerce. It looks like activity. It looks like business. It looks like recreation. It looks like people living their lives and doing meaningful work. Well, doing work in heaven, aren't we going to be rid of work? I mean, isn't that part of the deal, Jesus? I serve you, and then when I get to heaven, I don't have to clock in anymore and work anymore. It's a misunderstanding of work. And you, if you missed the sermon on work in August, you should listen to it online. But let me just talk for a second about work in heaven, because here's bad news. It may sound like bad news, but trust me, it's good news. You're going to work in heaven. We're going to work in heaven. Now, Donald McLeod points out that life for the redeemed will be even better than it was for the innocent in Garden of Eden. And he then points out that life in the garden offered scope for things like art, science, and technology, as well as theology. And then this is a direct quote. He says, the same will doubtless be true of the world to come. Not only the creator, but the creation too will be an object of wonder to the redeemed. It will challenge their intellects. It will fire their imaginations and stimulate their industry. And then he summarizes it this way. The scenario is a thrilling one. Brilliant minds in powerful bodies in a transformed universe. That's the new heavens and the new earth. And I would add to this. Brilliant minds in, what did he say? Powerful. Brilliant minds in powerful bodies with sinless spirits in a transformed universe. What are we going to be capable of? What are we going to be able to do? Those of you that are artists, what are you going to be able to paint with a brilliant mind, a powerful body, a sinless spirit, and a transformed universe? Those of you that are architects, what are you going to be able to build? Those of you that serve, whatever you do, those of you that are chefs, what are you going to be able to cook up? Those of you that bake, like what's coming? What, what is going to be there for us? Now, if this is a hard, hard truth for you to kind of wrap your mind around, let me make a little more of an argument for it. In Revelation 22, verses 2 and 3, it says that 
Remember in the garden, there was the tree of life, tree of good and evil and the tree of life. And where'd the tree of life go? Well, it's back in the new heavens and the new earth. Revelation 22, verses two and three says this. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. And what John is showing us here, what the spirit is teaching us here is that in heaven, it's gonna be Eden redeemed. The new heavens and the new earth are going to be everything as it was meant to be, but much, much more. The tree of life is there again. The curse is lifted. We have full communion with God. It's been restored. So heaven is Eden brought to fulfillment, everything as it was meant to be, and then some. So what are you and I going to do in heaven? Well, the best insight we have into what are you and I going to do in heaven is to ask the question, what did Adam and Eve do in the garden? And what did Adam and Eve do in the garden? They didn't float on clouds. They didn't play harps. They did work. They named animals. They tilled the ground. They kept the garden. In fact, in Genesis 2.15, it says that God took Adam and put him in the garden for two purposes, to work it and to take care of it. So likewise, we will continue to work in heaven, but we won't be under the curse. It will be glorious work. It will be wonderful work. And we will not just be caught up in the wonder of who Jesus is, although who knows how long it will, I mean, that will capture our hearts for eternity. But we also will take great joy and wonder in the work that each other is able to do and the world that we're able to be a part of. Now, it's actually been said, and I personally don't like this, that the only people who won't have a job in heaven are the preachers. <laughs> that the preachers will be out of jobs. So just remember me if I'm on the streets in heaven. Just bring me, bring me in. There's a... Uh, there's a college campus ministry guy in Stan- who works at Stanford. His name's Glenn Davis. And he said this about heaven. He said, we can be reasonably sure that poetry, philosophy, theology, science, art, and recreation will continue in heaven, but in remarkably transformed ways. And he says this, this is my favorite. He says, they will, re- they will resemble themselves now as much as a grown adult resembles an embryo. The art the work, the philosophy, the theology, the poetry, the science, the things that we will do in heaven will resemble what they look like now as much as a grown adult resembles an embryo. What is that going to be like? So there is a bodily earthly nature to the new heavens and the new earth. We will live on the new earth. It's a place, it's a city. In fact, when Jesus was resurrected from the dead, he came back and he wanted to do what? He wanted to eat. Give me something to eat. So there is this bodily resurrection that we're going to all experience, and that's going to be in the new heavens and the new earth. Okay, so four ways to think about heaven. It's the atmosphere. It's the kingdom breaking in. It's the present presence of God, where everyone who dies in Christ before the return of Jesus is. And it's the future, new heavens and the new earth, where we will all reign and rule with Jesus together. And there's a lot of debate and conversation over where that will be. Uh, I have my opinions, but uh, it doesn't matter. It's going to be somewhere good, so, and we'll be there. Now, what should we think about heaven? Let's get to the second question and, and uh, relax. The first question was much longer than the second two. Um, when should we think about heaven? Three times. We should think about heaven on our absolute best days, our best days. You have to think about heaven on your best days. Otherwise, you'll fall in love with this earth, Right? What's your greatest day? What's been your best day? Whatever that day is, we have to think about heaven. Careful not to set your hearts on the temporary. Careful not to set your hearts on the things that are passing, on the things that are not going to last forever. 
Some people will say, well, I'm gonna, live, I'm gonna live the best life I can now. And listen, you should steward well every opportunity God gives you. And you should live your life well in a way that glorifies God and is for the good of your neighbor. But if you place your hope in what you're, the only people who have their absolute best days now are people who will be out of heaven for eternity. That's the only people who are gonna experience the best life, their best life now. And so how do we experience the goodness of God every day, but especially on our best days, we need to remind ourselves about heaven. By the way, if you, if you don't think about heaven on your best days, let's, talk, let's describe one of your best days as the day you get a big raise at work or you get some financial windfall comes your way. If you're not thinking about heaven and you're only thinking about earth, your first thought is going to be, well, how do I use this money to raise my status? You know, I got a lot of money, so I need to move from this house to a bigger house. Isn't that kind of how we all are, with, a lot of us are with our finances? When you get more money, you, you always just think, well, this is my opportunity to kind of step up the ladder, to, to take another step towards the top. And we hope in those things. If you forget about heaven on your best days, you won't be a generous person. You won't give your money away. You'll hold on to your money. You'll forget. But when we think about heaven, it reminds us, you're not taking any of your money to heaven. You get to heaven, everything you're ever going to need and want is going to be there. John describes the roads as being paved with gold. The things of great wealth and value here on this earth are going to be things that we walk on in the new heavens and the new earth. And so thinking about heaven on our best days frees us up to do something as practical as give our money and be glad to give our money and generous with our money. Um, When else should we think about heaven? We have to think about heaven on our worst days. I think you know this. On our worst days, we have to remind ourselves about the hope of heaven. You know what it does for us? It steadies our hearts. It steadies us. Um, it gives us perspective. It sometimes sustains us and carries us. Scott Sauls, who's a pastor in Nashville, says it this way. If your hope is anchored in Jesus, then the worst case future scenario for you is resurrection and everlasting life. If your hope is anchored in Jesus, then the worst case scenario for you on this earth is resurrection and everlasting life. You know, if you're in Christ, the best day of your life is the last day of your life because you're about to walk into something that is beyond anything that we can understand or comprehend. So we have to think about heaven on our best days. We have to think about heaven on our worst days. And then you probably see this one coming. We have to think about heaven on every other day. We need to always be thinking about heaven. Now, there was an article by Colin Smith, and he just really quickly, three things he said about heaven. These so encouraged my heart. And as you go into 2018, I want to encourage your heart with these things. Number one is this. In heaven, just listen to this. In heaven, you will serve God as you always wished. Does that do anything for you? In heaven, you will serve God as you always wished. Do we serve God here now as we always wished? No, we get it wrong. We miss opportunities. We're selfish. We're myopic. We're insecure. We're all of these things because we're part of creation and we're under the curse. But can you imagine what it's going to be like in heaven to serve God fully, wholeheartedly, as we always wished that we had? In heaven, I love this one, Jesus will lead you into ever-increasing joy. This is what it means. The joy in heaven is not static it's not like you walk into heaven and you're like, this is amazing. And it just stays there for eternity. It's going to be ever-increasing joy. There's going to be joy that increases day after day. 
Jonathan Edwards says that the joys we experience in heaven won't be static. They will accumulate as one joy is added to another and the pleasure of all remain. Just imagine what this will be like for God's people when we've been with him for 10,000 ages. And he says this, our knowledge will increase to eternity. And if our knowledge, our holiness. And if we increase in the knowledge of God, we will see more of his excellency. And the more we see of his excellency, the more we will love him. And the more we love God, the more we will delight in him and the more happiness we will have in him. So in heaven, our joy will increase day after day after day. And then lastly, in this article, he said that in heaven, all of your wounds will be healed. Not just your worst ones, all of them. Even the wounds that you don't know you have, they'll all be healed. In heaven, we will serve God as we always wished we had. In heaven, we will be led into ever-increasing joy. And in heaven, all of our wounds will be healed. So to summarize this question of when should we think about heaven, think about heaven on your best days so that you don't fall in love with this world. Think about heaven on your worst days so you don't lose your hope in the next world. But think about heaven on every day, otherwise you won't be able to on your best days and your worst days. If it's not a habit, if it's not the rhythm of your spiritual life, you're never going to muster it up on the worst day of your life. You just won't be able to. So we think about heaven. All right. What should we think about heaven? When should we think about heaven? And then lastly this morning as we close, why? Why should we think about heaven? The truth is is that I've really been answering this question the whole message long. But let me give you one more reason. At the very end of the Bible, this is how the Bible ends. Revelation chapter 22, it says this in verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. That word soon, does it bother any of you? It's like, it's been 2,000 years. I mean, what does soon mean? You know, but we know that 1,000 years is like a day here. Like, we don't know God's timing. We don't know his, we don't know his ways. We've been really in the end times. We've really been in the end days since Jesus was resurrected. It's been inaugurated. It's here. Now we're waiting. What is soon? We don't really know. We can have a sense, we can read the signs, we can wonder. It doesn't really matter when, as long as we're expecting. We need to always be expecting. We need to always be prepared, and our prayer needs to always be, Lord Jesus, come. And that's how the book of, the, that's how the book of Revelation, the Bible ends. Come, Lord Jesus, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. So really, the last prayer in the Bible is someone crying out, John crying out from his heart, come, Lord Jesus. Let heaven come to earth. I mean, that's our prayer. Your will be done on heaven or on earth as it is in heaven. What this means is this, that our hearts, it's important for us to get this balance. Otherwise we'll be, uh, we'll, we'll struggle. Your heart can long for heaven. Your heart can fully long for heaven, even while our, even while our lives fully and joyfully carry out the work that God has given us to do here. So here's the balance. With all of our being, we can say, come Lord Jesus, and we can long for the hope of heaven. But not as an escape from where we are right now, because as long as you're here, guess what? You got work to do. God has you here for a reason. When you're here, it's because you have a work to do. So yes, with all of our beings, we long for heaven, but not in a way that steals in any way from the fact that God has us here on earth now to do something that has eternal consequence and has eternal importance to it. So we walk this balance. We don't, we don't escape to heaven and ignore our responsibilities here, nor do we so uh, sort of root ourselves in the temporary things that we lose sight of the hope of heaven. We can do both 100%. 100% long for heaven, 100% steward God, steward our gifts 
and work for God's kingdom here. And let me finish with this little quote from C.S. Lewis's book, The Last Battle. Now, this is, the, uh, this is the seventh book from his series, The Chronicles of Narnia. And he's, it's the end of time. And Aslan, if you don't know these books, Aslan is a lion who really is like a Messiah character. And he says this. I love this. It says, as Aslan spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion, but the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this was the end of all the stories. He's talking about heaven. He's talking about the end of time. And for us, this was the end of all stories. And can we can most truly say that all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. And now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. See, when we lose people, we think, well, that's the end of their story. C.S. Lewis challenges us to think completely different about it. Everything, everything that's going to happen on this earth in these 70 to 80 years, how many years God gives us, it's just the title and the cover page. But when we get to heaven, that's chapter one. And God's going to continue to write our story and continue to tell his story through us and continue to receive glory through who we are and what we do. And in heaven, every chapter will be better than the one before. This is the great hope that we have in heaven. What should we think about heaven? When should we think about heaven? Why should we think about heaven? Heaven is our hope. We encourage one another with heaven. Here's what I want to encourage you to do uh, this year as we go into a new year. I, want to, I know you all got different resolutions that you're going to set. You know, some of you are going to get gym memberships, and, and uh, some of you are going to start taking classes, and some of you are going to stop doing certain things and start doing other things, and that's fine. Good luck with all that. Gyms are packed for January, by the way. And then about Valentine's Day, where'd everybody go? Um, I want to encourage you to make this resolution 2018. You're going to think about heaven more than you ever have. You're going to talk about heaven more than you ever have. You're going to encourage one another with heaven. When someone says, man, I've had a really bad day, you have the greatest encouragement tool in the world in your toolbox. Hey, there's coming a day where we're, you know, you're frustrated at work. Someday you're never going to be frustrated with your work. You got writer's block. Someday you're never going to have writer's block. You, you, you underseasoned that. You overcooked that. Someday you're never going to do any of that. And someday we're going to be in the very presence of God. And we're going to be us, but without pain, without sin, without sickness, without shame. And can you imagine you without any of those things? Can you imagine what our relationships with each other are going to be like in heaven? I mean, amazing. And our God, we're going to stand shoulder to shoulder. We're going to look at him, experiencing everything that he's provided for us. And we're going to say, this is our God. This is our God. He's better than we thought. He's truer than we thought. He's more wonderful than we hoped. He's more beautiful than we ever tried to describe him to be. And he has provided for us something that we couldn't have dreamed up. But it's everything our hearts ever wanted. And that's the hope of heaven. So in 2018, let's think about heaven. Let's talk about heaven. Let's encourage each other with heaven. And let's continue the work that God has given us to do here on earth until he returns for us. Let's bow our heads and pray.